everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of Fish Bites, the Miami Herald's Miami Marlins podcast. I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. How are you doing, Dre? I'm doing great. I'm going uh, – this week, I think I'm going to ask you a few more questions about the Marlins because you covered the entire series. But before we do any of that, before we get to baseball, before we get to anything, how about that light show to start off the, the introductions? Yeah, and not just the introductions. They're doing it right before the team takes the field every single home game it's that's what i'm fantastic. talking about it's yeah. fantastic and if you remember and, and jordan's my witness here i turned around and, I, and well, I tweeted it out after i told him every game do this all 81 because I, I, I initially knowing how things are it's opening day whatnot i thought this was just for opening day and i'm like no 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 no. let's have this hype up like all the time and it's cool it's pretty cool with the different lights and whatnot i mean now let's hope they can back it up with the kind of play on the field that, that makes you excited to watch what comes after the light show. But so far, not too bad. What, four and five so far? I mean, solid solid performances against the Phillies, which, you know, they've dominated. They've had the Phillies number for the most part going back to 2019. As you mentioned, that's probably your fault, Jordan. That's probably your, your, your the good luck term. That's more or less when you took over the beat at the Herald. Well, that's, so, I think, the first bit of good luck I've given to this team outside of, if you want to credit the playoff run, the playoff making in the shortened season. But, yeah, <laughs> I took over in 2019, and it's the team yeah. they've had the winning record against all three years I've been on the beat, and now it's already starting the year four. I mean, you could say that, or you could say it's Real Muto's fault, one of the two. But let's go with Jordan in, the, in this case. Let's, 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 give, let's give you the credit on this one. Yeah. But either way, they, they, it, was, it was good to see. It was good to see the bats come alive. They outscored the Phillies 28 to 17. A couple of those on blowout wins, of course. They outhit them. Not so much the outhit the 38-37. That's pretty even. But I thought the damage they did. And Jordan, you know, tell me what you saw just uh, as far as the, you were up close to see those swings up in person. Not just the home runs, but the 16 extra base hits is something. And five triples was impressive to, to watch too. The way this team was always, even before when the staff was a little different, was talking about the extra base mentality and getting a little more out of each at bat, that sort of thing. But it was good to see because, as we know, the best teams in baseball are the ones that do damage with big swings. And they were doing that, at least for this weekend. We'll see if they can keep it going. Quality opponents coming up with the cards and the Braves. But it was good to see them do it against a divisional opponent. Um, how did it look from your end? No, you hit the nail on the head there. Again, 16 extra base hits. There were only three home runs. One by Garrett Cooper on in the home opener to – get them their first run at home this year. The other two by Avaseo Garcia and Jorge Soler in their one loss in their one loss on Saturday, but they did do a lot of damage on the base paths and five triples, eight doubles. Jesus Sanchez hitting two doubles of all people. Uh, Jazz Chisholm Jr. Getting a couple doubles and a couple doubles, a couple triples. Miguel Rojas getting a triple. Uh, you see them. Uh, and a lot of those extra bases were hustle plays. It was, there were plays where you get the ball in the right field and you're able to say, okay, I could be content with a double. And then you see them do the do what they can to get the extra 90 feet. And it paid off in just about every situation. Every one of those double, if I'm if I remember correctly, all five of those guys that got to third base on triples, they all scored within the next two at bats. Whereas if they were if they stayed at second, it may not have happened with a potential bang bang play or the bloop play that barely got into the outfield or what have you. But being able to get that extra base and do what they had to the to get two when they could have just sell for one or get three when they could have just sell for two, it goes a long way. And for a team like this where we're still learning about the offense and we're still seeing what the best construction of this lineup is going to be, any advantage that you can get 
you have to take advantage of. And the Marlins did this weekend. Like you said, they only had one more hit than the, Mar- than the Phillies, but they were able to turn that one extra hit into 11 more runs, right. and which is also a testament to the pitching staff, which we're going to touch on a little bit later on with how great the Marlins did with their starting pitching three of the four games. But with a, with a hard, hard-hitting team like Philly, if you're able to basically be even with them in terms of the amount of hits and still outscore, outscore them by double-digit runs, that's a very good first statement in your first series against a divisional opponent. And not only that, but do you, do you see it kind of being – do you see elements at least? Because obviously it's still only a, hand, a couple of opponents that they've played pretty much. Do you see – some you, it sounds like you see some sustainability there in certain cases. I mean, the one good sign was Sanchez, I thought, because I mean, we, we had our concerns from him not so much at the plate, more like how he was going to play the position. That That's another topic, but it was a good weekend for him too, as well. But you, you kind of see him and, and some of that where at least no one's going to hit every single day like that, but you see some sustainable elements where you could see more of that. And remember, they're doing this at home, not the friendly hitting ballpark. No, correct. And I'll start with Jesus Sanchez first, and then I'll dive into everybody else. Uh, with Jesus Sanchez specifically, the he was one of those big questions of how is he going to handle center field when all basically his entire career in pro ball in the minors after the after rookie ball, he only had I think it was nine or ten starts in center field in the upper minors. So while he's a corner guy, the Marlins like the analytics, his his jumps, his first reads. They liked all that. It was a matter of seeing how if he could improve on how he finished plays in the field. It was a question going in, and he's held his own. I think he's either neutral or minus one defensive run saved. So he's basically right around average in terms of center fielder, in terms of fielding defensively. But if he's able to minimize mistakes, which he's done throughout these first nine games, and provide what he's providing at the plate, I mean, he went – Seven for 15 with two triples, five RBI, four runs scored in the three games he played against Philly. And for the season, again, it's eight games that he's played so far. But through the first eight games, he's hitting 343 with a 1018 OPS. Both of those numbers among center fielders, those are the top marks among Major League Baseball center fielders so far offensively. The only other center fielder with no OPS above 900 is Mike Trout. Which, again, I'm not saying he's Mike Trout, but to say that they're the only two through the first two weeks of the season, that's a that's a pretty good start for a guy who's just making his first steps as showing that he could be an everyday guy out there. Right. But against the repeat MVP, I mean, anytime you can put him in the conversation, that's still still impressive, at least, you know, to start off. I mean, a good series overall. I mean, I thought, I mean, not just the three out of four, but I think the elements within it. Obviously, the, the one loss was a dud, and not just – you hope it's only a dud, for, for Trevor Rogers because, you know, coming off the season he had last year, seven earned runs in one and two-thirds. I mean, he said he was tipping his pitches, which it's not the first time. You hope he can make that adjustment and avoid this from, from happening too often, especially against a familiar opponent that you're going to see over and over, like the Phillies, let's say. Because, I mean, if he's if he's on, you know what the others can do. I mean, they, at least this weekend, even LES are stepping up and having a, a one-earned run in six innings start was good to see because – you know, we know that the top three we have everybody I think can say are the are the three guys that have can have proven they can go out there and consistently deliver quality starts. But if you can get it out of the four and then the five, I know Zardo's the one we're gonna talk about later too. That's obviously something that's gonna be huge for them. But um 
tell me about it. You, you you spoke to you know you were there when you know trevor spoke afterwards i mean was it just that i mean what you said there, there's a i mean what did he kind of say that is something correctable early on that won't this won't happen again yeah he said a lot of it was mechanics which again which is also interesting because he had one other outing like this back in 2020 when he made his debut and it was also against the Phillies and it felt like it was a very similar situation. His mechanics got off. He may have, whether it was in the windup or the release, the opponents were able, the Phillies were able to realize what was coming before it came. And if he's able to fix that, it, I think it'll be fine. Everything else in terms of, yes, his velocity dipped toward the end of his outing, but you also have to remember he threw 40 pitches in the first inning. If you're throwing that much in an inning, your velo is going to drop. The Marlins yeah. kept him in. The Marlins were going to take him out if he didn't get that final out of pitch for you. They were going to take him out with two thirds of an inning complete because they yeah, weren't I mean, going to let him throw, throw himself out. They don't let him throw 40 if it's not the first inning. I mean, I would, I would hope not. No, correct. No, because it was the first inning, their hope was okay, the first inning's out of the way. Sort of similar to what happened last year when he walked, I think it was like four or five guys against the Cardinals at first home start. And Don Nightingale said to him in the dugout, hey, can we get better from here? Right. So they were trying to hope that maybe the second inning they would be able to make some quick fixes. He may be able to get into a groove, maybe get through two, hopefully get through a third. But he got up to 60-some pitches midway through the second inning, and they just said, no, let's just let's eat the loss. Cody Poteet, fortunately, was able to get them through. I think Cody Poteet got them through the fifth, which the beauty of being able to have some long relievers in the bullpen with the DH and being able to use a shorter bench having some construction there was able to save them for going into Sunday. But for Trevor overall, it's he need, he still is in that state where not everything is fully there. His fastball is doing fine. His velo was averaging fine up until it dipped in that second inning, which again, I think was more of a an effect of that 40-pitch first inning. His slider, which he has been tinkering with since the offseason, is still a work in progress. His changeup, which he had a 33.5% whiff rate last year, he has yet to get a swing and miss on through two starts. That changeup needs to start becoming more of a pitch that he can use to attack hitters, get some, get some strikeouts with, and not just be, as he said on Saturday, a ball that's coming out of the hand they're just going to spit on. He needs right. that to be a valuable pitch because if the slider isn't working, the changeup isn't working, all he has is a fastball you're right. not going to get far with just a fastball. No, but no, if you look right. at the rest of the rotation, if we remove Trevor from this, Sandy Alcantara, two earned runs and six and a third. Pablo Lopez, five and a third shutout innings. Pablo's been fantastic through the first two starts of the season. And then, like you mentioned, Eliezer, one earned run and six innings pitched. The only mistake he gave up was a first pitch, first pitch mistake to Bryce Harper that he took deep. But – First time for Eliezer Hernandez going six innings in a game since 2019. With everything he went through, 2020 missing the back half of the shortened season with injury, having the two different injuries in 2021, if they could find something where even if he is just a very good number four, if he's able to provide five, six innings a start instead of the, okay, he's getting through three or four, is he going to get through the fifth, we don't know, situation that's been the case for the last few years. If he can provide semi-decent stuff out of the number four spot and Lazardo's able to do 75% of what he did his first start in the, against the Angels where he struck out 12, got a pretty good rotation on your hand. Yeah. 
Well, and and you have the two the two stud prospects on waiting in the wings. You still have Cabrero if you can ever you know, hopefully we're waiting on him to finally be able to be healthy enough to come up, and maybe down the road Max Meyer too. Correct. You get a look at him in either role. I mean, it just beefs it up, and and then at that point, it lessens the stress too. Like you said, on you know the bullpen concerns that you have right now, especially the high leverage part of it, and then it gives a chance for Flora to get back in it at some point soon. Yeah, definitely. We'll and, to, and to quickly touch on the bullpen, uh, Richard Bly or not Richard Bly, sorry, Dylan Floro has been throwing bullpen sessions. It look my assumption, this hasn't been made official yet, but my assumption is when the Marlins go on the road after they finish his homestand, is that he'll go on the rehab assignment. And I would think he'll he'll rejoin them the second homestand. That to me would make the most logical sense. He's thrown, I think, four bullpens now since the season started. I would think he'd throw at least one more at the ballpark with Mel Stoudemire Jr. watching him, then go on, do two or three games in a, in a rehab assignment, whether it's in Jacksonville, Pensacola, Jupiter, wherever, just we get to see some live hitters. And then at that point, give him the chance to show that he can pitch every other day and then send them and then have them come back here when they face the Mariners. Which, right. I was about to say the Mariners and then the D-backs coming in yeah. right after that Atlanta DC trip, uh, that's coming up. So that that would be a good if they could kind of make it work for now for the next couple of weeks. Not unthinkable that that then you you go into that situation pretty good where you're kind of shaping your bullpen where you want it. Yeah. At that point, but I mean, looking ahead, not that far ahead, but I know you want to. We wanted to look at. They did great against the Phillies, but now here comes another playoff caliber team that to me is even better than they were last year when they were the Cinderella when they put that Cinderella run together to get to the wild card. And, you know, Albert Pujols is at 681 in home runs. You know, so this is going to be his final year. I wonder, does he get, what do you think? Does he get to 700 homers? He gets to 700. He's going to get to 700. Yeah. I mean, you got to think durability is the thing, too. I mean, yes. I mean he's not going to play every single day or anything, but is he, can he stay in there? Can he stay healthy? Does he get to 700? I mean, that's a big bat if he's even remotely like that. I mean, that's a, that's a big bat to add to that lineup. You already got a veteran. This is a very veteran team. In yes. the lineup, wise with Goldie, Molina, still probably we don't know. Arenado, this could be it for him. Of course, Arenado, the best third baseman there is. You know, and other guys, DeYoung, Edmund. You look at that matchup, and obviously, what Lozardo did last week, the 12K outing, matching up against Wainwright is going to be a good, a very good test for him to see how to, to see just how good. I mean, one thing that I liked in that start, I mean, looking at the numbers a little bit, his money pitch, the curveball. Nine Ks yeah. off of that. Nine out of the 12, according to Savant, according to baseball Savant. Yep. So it looked like it looked like his money pitch was working. What you kind of see out of him, you know, not just that part of it, but how he used his arsenal and basically how he balanced things out, how he mixed well in that start. Yeah, definitely. The way he was playing, it was his fastball up in the zone and then the breaking ball low in the zone, keeping the hitters off balance that way. The fastball command really was able to help set up the curveball because – Fastball, he was still getting after strikes as well, which was one of his big big issues last year was he was able to throw the fastball hard, but he wasn't able to locate it. The fact that he's able, he was able to do both of those in that start and make it so that hitters had to pay attention both up, both high and low, that kept them off balance throughout, throughout the entire game. And I think he also had some help. It was an afternoon game. I'm not taking anything away from Lazar with 12 strikeouts, but it was an afternoon game in Los Angeles. There were some shadows. I think that that had that gave Marlins hair some problem some problems as well. 
Don't so, start the shadow thing, Jordan. I'm not don't trying start to start. The, please don't start the shadow thing. I'm just saying it was Easter on Sunday, and that was it was Easter Sunday, 2019, when all of this happened. So, my man, please don't start the shadow thing. Yeah. Well, the roof has the roof has barely been open since then, so we haven't had to worry about that. But that's real, where there I'm trying. Go. But that's what I'm trying to go to, where in a more environment controlled setting will will the results remain the same when he doesn't have the environmental factors that are also favoring him is he still going to be able to do all this are hitters going to make some more contact on the elevated fastball or is he going to have to change up some things change up his sequencing a little bit after the second or third time through the order when he doesn't have those type of things so especially with a lineup like this this, just against against a, a lineup where you have yeah. a Nolan Arenado who's already hitting 433 with 12 ribbies and four home runs, mm-hmm. nine and five doubles as well. Where you have, where you have, I think they have, uh, they have Tommy Edmond hitting 333 so far. Pujols has two home runs. Oh, the is, Cardinals are raking right now. You know, the Cardinals yeah. are a very veteran group, and the Marlins are again. Adam Wainwright can still put together solid outings out there. I'm. I'll be honest, Adam Wainwright is one of my favorite guys to watch on an opposing team. I've always enjoyed the starts I got to watch against him when the Marlins played the Cardinals. So being able to see this matchup, this is one I'm excited about to see on Tuesday. And then the Marlins get to follow it up Wednesday with Sandy and Thursday with Pablo. The Cardinals don't have their starters for the other two games yet. But if Lazardo can get them a win and then you go right back to your top two horses to close mm-hmm. out the homestand, that, that that gives them the chance to put them in a good spot going into capping off their first homestand before going on the road against two more division rivals. Yeah. No, and, and Atlanta too. I mean, yeah. you have the champs and right on another team that's hitting well so far this uh, the early portion of the season. You know, the Nationals, yes, they're not expected to be – they're expected to kind of be at the bottom this year in the East, at least going into the season, but – you know, the big bats that they have as well. I mean, it, it's definitely, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Having that bridge to turn the rotation over back to the back to the studs and then see if they can just go on. So, I mean, that's the thing they haven't been able to really, because they've had these records, other than maybe at the start of the playoff year, to put, to put these long stretches of winning together. It really just hasn't happened for them. Opportunity right here, believe it or not, even though at the beginning of the season, you look at this stretch of the schedule and you're probably thinking, holy crap, like this is like the daunting, early start now they come out almost at 500 and you feel a little better going in at least as far as them having an opportunity yeah but, and then when you look at how teams affairs so far atlanta's only five and six right now washington's four and seven the braves they just lost they lost on sunday to the padres i need to double check who they played to this point but they're and now they're about to start a series with the dodgers so you're about to see yeah. what atlanta really is this year with these first these couple early series with two very good teams from the National League West that they're facing before coming back. And again, they're doing the West Coast and going straight back to facing the Marlins as the first team back after coming back from the West Coast. So the Marlins may be able to, depending on how those series go out there, the emotions of them facing Fred, of going against Freddie Freeman for the first time since, since he left, how they respond after that when they come to face a team like the Marlins who, Let's just say teams still may not be expecting much from the Marlins, even with what they're starting to show now. Oh no, it, yeah. no, I mean, it could potentially give them it could potentially give them that it could potentially give them some momentum there if if things go their if things roll their way. And the one big variable that you have to mention whenever the Marlins and the Braves play each other. He's not still there. No, still no Acuna. Still no Acuna in this series. So can't take a ton out of it because again, when he gets back. 
I think I think he's getting close to get, at least getting back on it, the field. Still. Yeah, he's supposed to start rehab assignment. I think either Tuesday right or around Wednesday. That time. Yeah, yeah. he's supposed to start this week with rehab assignments, and they said the earliest he would be back is May. Right. Uh, I think it's like early. I think early May. So potentially that second road trip up there at the end of May would be the first time we'd see him. We'd see right. Acuna in at Truist Park. But someone right. who well, is getting to go back to Truist Park, sure. a yeah. certain World Series MVP in Jorge Soler. Yeah, I think that's that's it's going to be interesting to see. And you saw Soler come through a little bit this weekend when we were talking about that power barrage. He had one of those home runs. You, you, you sort of see the potential of what he can do if he's on, right? I mean, that that's the power you're going to have in there. And, yeah, I mean, it would be fun to see him maybe do some damage against his old team and and just add – it adds that extra little little layer there to this rivalry, you know, which the Marlins really wanted to be a rivalry, right? I mean, the, the Braves have pretty much dominated it. You know, we saw it in the playoff year again last season. They want to be able to at least make some inroads to truly make it a back-and-forth thing between them. And, you know, you and I did that piece back during the playoff year of just how how far apart the two franchises seemed both on and off the field. It'd be nice if, and you can't, we're not putting all of this on this weekend series, but this season, as on the overall big picture, you'd like to see the Marlins at least do something to kind of put their, put their name in the hat, so to speak, to really show that they're not, narrow the gap at least a little bit. But we'll see. Let's see. They, this is the start right now. Yeah, definitely is. And again, pretty good week of games coming up. We're going to get to see what they do then. The homestand, how they end up going out when they start making their statement against teams in the East. Uh, let's take a quick break, Dre. And when we come back, we finally have, I feel, enough of a sample size to start get, making some early observations on the minor league. So let's do some minor league talk in the second half. And with that, we'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back, everyone. So minor league baseball, we're two weeks in. Uh, Dre, just any early thoughts, any early standouts from your end that after now that we're, I think, 12 games in for AAA and nine games in for the other three affiliates? Well, I mean, I know the one guy we really wanted to see, and he's still a little a little bit away, but everybody talks about Max Meyer. Everybody talks about the pitchers. But as we've said, beating the horse, the, the beating the drum to death here is uh, when are the big sticks coming? Khalil Watson's still a little while away, but he's had a good start, and I'm encouraged to see that because he's another one, another player that could be, you know, could be that 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 impactful type shortstop middle infielder that they're going to need down the road. And so, I mean, I, I'll let you take it away because you did the breakdown that's uh, already up on the Herald website. 
but I mean, I, we're, you talk a little bit about Max Meyer and some of those guys and you took it. You're going to actually, let me just tell people, the listeners out there, we used to have this thing back in the day. That was a chart. That was called the South Florida minor league report. And it had like prospects that were from down here. Obviously this is back in the day when the Marlins were just in its, in their infancy or maybe not even there yet, but Jordan's going to bring you and he already has in the last couple of years, but this year, even more eventually he and maybe maybe myself included may we're gonna we're our, our goal is to hit Jacksonville, Pensacola, Jupiter. I don't know if you have in mind some side excursion to Beloit when you're on the road somewhere potentially. But the point is, you still have the you still have the the farm system covered, and you got, and you started with this version today. It's, you know, I'd encourage everyone to kind of read it, and it goes level by level. You started off in AAA with Jacksonville, and I know you got you took a, a look at what Max Meyer has been able to do so far. So how's Max looked up there with the jumbo shrimp so far to you, Jordan? Yeah, Max is he's looked apart. I mean, the only thing is he's only thrown nine innings through two starts. The first start I get it was four innings. You get him reacclimated with everything he had. I think it was a, a semi-extended time off between leaving Jupiter from spring training to getting up there. Four innings, gave up two runs, not one. First start, I'll move past that. His second start, five perfect innings, 15 up, 15 down, eight strikeouts. Would have been out for more, but had a right calf. He had cramps in his calf as he was going to work, going to throw his warm-up pitch to the sixth inning. He said he told a couple of the reporters who were on site that it was precautionary. He basically got a Charlie horse when he was throwing the pitches and they mm. just didn't want to risk anything with it. He said that he'll be fine for his next start, which should be on Tuesday. But again, just looking at that 13 strikeouts through eight innings in two starts, if he can continue to build on that and utilize all three of his pitches, the upper nineties fastball, the swinger, miss, the swing and miss slider, which is the best pitch in his arsenal. And then the changeup that he's been working on since the off season if that changeup keeps developing the way that it's looked based off of the reports we've gotten through the first two starts and what we saw in spring, he has a three-pitch arsenal that can hold its own, it, it, that can potentially hold its own in the big leagues. It's just I want to see what he does, and this was a topic that we talked about last year with both him and Jake Eater. I want to see what he does deeper in games when he has to face a team a third time through the order and right. faces teams that are able to adjust on the fly. I need to see what he's able to do from that perspective before making any judgment calls about when he should be called up, even though with the stuff we've seen now, he could probably come up now and be a closer, even though he's the goal is for him to be a starter before they do, do any sort of bullpen movement. Yeah. Well, before anything, I hate Charlie horses even when I'm walking, let alone oh. pitching. Oh, me so too. I can only, I can only imagine how, how much that sucked, but no, and no, the closer thing, like I, there's no reason to force that. I think there's no reason to force that right now unless, and again, the way they're piecing it together for the moment. But even if they didn't, you got to think in the big picture too. If he's not ready yet, you want to see a little more out of him, like you're saying, see how he handles things down there before you were to call him up because you don't want to throw him into the fire ideally that fast. Even though I know people are excited, people want to see him, see what he can do, but it'll get there. It'll get there, I think, this season sooner than later. And you'll see the potential that they had when they made this draft pick. And, and a couple other AAA notables. I mean, Peyton Burdick with three homers already, I see. And 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 10 walks, too. I mean, I always look, you always look at that. You always look at the strikeout to walk ratio. So that's those are good signs there. Uh, Lewin Diaz, a guy who, you know, we thought for a second when we saw Garrett Cooper get hurt, but then come bounce back and come back right away. 
you thought, does this open the door maybe for him to come up? It seems like it, it seems like he's going to be all right. So, but Lewin Diaz will be there eventually too. He's another one. But again, good good to see the bat doing well down there. Look at and and another one you mentioned, Zach Pop, eight scoreless. Seven strikeouts, not bad, not bad, a good start down there. He was a guy that you were a little surprised got moved down to begin with to start the season. He thought he was going to make the 28, man, so. Yeah, I did think Pop was going to make it just based off of he was there all of last year. He was in that sort of in-between role between a middle inning guy and when they were in a pinch, they used him in some of the semi-high leverage roles. They used him in like the seventh inning, semi-setup situations when need be, but you know what? Again, he had to be on the roster all of last year as a Rule 5 guy. And they felt confident enough once they traded for Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer from the, from the Orioles right at the end of spring training that why not let him get a little more seasoning in the minors and not put him in a situation that forces him to be in a situation that he may not need to be in. So let him, let him get some work done in the minors, get some confidence in, and who knows? And again, it just provides a little bit, little bit of extra depth down there that they didn't have last year. So now if you have an injury, you can go, oh, well, we already have a guy who we feel confident throwing in as a seventh inning guy if need be. So that helps there. And then just to circle, just to go straight back down to Khalil Watson, he is the other highlight that we touched on right at the top. I mean, when a guy eight games in already, he's 10 for 30, eight of his 10 hits are extra bases, four home runs and four doubles. And again, to hit home runs in the Florida State League ballparks, that's no easy feat. So to have four home runs through your first 10 hits for a guy who just turned 19 years old, that's very, very promising, especially at the start. And we know he's great on defense as well. My one area of concern with Khalil, and it's early, but 33 plate appearances, 15 strikeouts. Mm -hmm. That's going to have to try to work itself out. I mean, you want to see him be – you don't want to see him be a guy who's all or nothing. If you can see him get some – work some of the hit tooling in addition to the power, it'd be ideal. And then again, that just complements everything else that we've seen from his repertoire so far. Yeah. And you, and this early in this early of a stage, you wonder if it's just, you know, inexperience and is he getting fooled out there just because it's the first time you, so you give him, yeah, I'd, I'd at least give him like the benefit of the doubt for now. Oh, definitely. But keep an eye on if, unless there's something mechanical going on. That's something that obviously like you have to see or the scouts can pick that up and, and that sort of thing. You know, but just looking at the numbers, yeah, you don't want it to be an ongoing problem, but a lot of guys deal with that early on and then get better. So it's something to watch. It's something to monitor throughout the year. How does he handle it? How does he bounce back? But you have some names that I don't think, unless you're really, really into the Marlins, I don't think a lot of people, I mean, like I'm, I guess I, I'm speaking for the casual baseball fan, tell us a little bit about Paul McIntosh, who 24-year-old catcher, designated hitter, hitting 500 right now with a with a 1505 OPS. I mean, good start to say the least. I mean, he's not even in the top 30. But could this be this could be a sleeper from what you from what you're uh, laying out here for us, Jordan? Yeah, so Paul McIntosh, the Marlins signed him as a minor league free agent in July of last year. He worked his way up to Jupiter by the end of that season was a li- was in spring training, he was in the non-roster invite, but when camp started dwindling down in numbers and they needed defensive replacements, he was one of the guys they shuttled up for minor league camp to to come out here, to come out, plates in first base. I, I think it was mostly first base there, but he's a catcher by trade. 
and he's been doing some pretty – he's been – again, they moved him straight up from Jupiter to Pensacola over the offseason. He's 14 for 28. Seven of his 14 hits are extra bases, four doubles, a triple, and two home runs. He has two stolen bases as well, which for a catcher you really don't see much of. But even though he's not a top 30 guy, he is a guy who, again, only been in the Marlins system for a year. The Marlins front office really likes him. I've talked with a couple people inside the organization who have said a lot of people are going to sleep on him just because, again, he's not one of the top 30 guys. We have the other catchers within, whether it's Joe Mack or Nick Fortes, or they're still hoping that Will Banfield turns a corner. But they said McIntosh is a guy who could potentially turn some heads and He's done it so far through his first week and a half of games. Now the question is, is he is it going to continue? I'm interested to see. He's going to be a guy who I'm going to start following as as everything moves on. But again, a 1505 OPS that's pretty pretty solid for a guy who were who's not really on people's radars. Yeah, and look, I mean, I, I think we said that in the preseason edition because when you look at this is something that I was, I was like again trying to sort of show for baseball fans out there that a lot of baseball fans that are like really hardcore baseball fans, they know this, but maybe the casual fan doesn't that in, especially in baseball, when it comes to the draft, so many guys get drafted and you only, when you look back on it, like we did the homework on that when we did the the preview package, how Correct. most franchises, if you're lucky out of the 50, 40, 50 guys that you, you pick, you're only going to get that become true major leaguers, only a handful, maybe less than a handful. So it's very rare when a guy like this gets that far, but it is something to watch because every once in a while you do have those hidden gems that teams have. Could Paul McIntosh be that guy? Hey, we'll never, we will we, know. We, we may know down the road if he does, but you know, I, I think it's, it's a good start, but let's keep an eye on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Let's, let's kind of see, if he can do it, because again, there's a lot of, there's a lot, it's so hard to get through. So it's remarkable sometimes. That, and, and sometimes on the flip side of that, it's remarkable when guys even get this far and you take it for granted because you see all these other ones, but it's hard to even get to what he's doing right now. So mm-hmm. great job by him. And let, and let's make, let's keep an eye on, see how, see where it goes with Paul. Another one like that. I mean, I think Brian, how do you pronounce his last name? I believe it's Hoeing. Hoeing. He, 0.00 ERA, 16 strikeouts over two starts. That's a good sign. I mean, I don't know. If we, I don't. I think again, I don't think a lot of like the the, the everyday Martins fan really has heard about him. The guy you mentioned after that, they've definitely heard about, and that's Yuri Perez, who's not off. Who actually is not off to a good start down there. It looks like. So what? Tell us about the weeks that those two had, and then Gerard Carnacion too. Looks like he's had. Uh, he's hitting 300, couple home runs. So. Decent start, kind of keep an eye. We, we've seen Gerard plenty this year, and we've seen how his progression's been. But mm-hmm. the flip side for a guy, for the, the upside for a guy like Brian Hoeing, and then kind of what's up with uh, Yuri Perez, the guy that everybody's been hyping up so much. Yeah, so I'll start with Brian Hoeing. He was a seventh-round pick in 2019. Obviously, again, one of those guys where the 2020, losing that minor league season with because of COVID, sort of sort – of, slowed his his rise up a little bit but for his career he's 438 era throughout his career 129 strikeouts through 156 innings he was in beloit all of last year and 
he impressed enough to for the Marlins to bring him up to Double A. And again, he's shown he's shown some stuff early. Two twelve batting average against, like you said, sixteen strikeouts. Also, only two walks through those first two starts over thirteen innings. So pretty good, pretty good, pretty good start for him, and just gives them some more depth, some more internal depth for their pitching side. But Yuri Perez, it's been a rocky first two starts for him. He has a six seven six seven five ERA. With 11 strikeouts against four walks, he's only thrown eight innings through his first two starts. I think it was three and two thirds his first time, and then four and a third the second time around. And I mean, it's kind of—I don't want to say expected that struggles would come, but it's not—it's not hard to fathom them happening. Especially again, he just turned 19, and he's in Double A. He only played—I think it was only a handful of starts in High A last year. He was mostly in Jupiter the year before. Or for in the 2021. So again, the fact that they jumped him so quickly and we're hoping to see what he could do with higher level. Again, it's just it's just part of the learning curve for again a 19-year-old who had a breakout first year. Based off what I saw from him on the backfield in Jupiter during spring training and the little bit I got to see of him in person last year, he's the guy who knows how to make adjustments. He knows how to what the what work he has to do the four or five days in between starts. And it's just a matter of seeing if he can apply them in the games as the double-A season progresses. Again, as much as, as we talked about with all the great starts, two starts in, we also have to think of the flip side where how much stock do we take into any sort of struggles two starts in as well. If this lingers through a month, a month and a half, then we could start really trying to hone in on what's going on. But I think as he continues to progress, we'll start to see some adjustments, but Again, let's see what happens after these first two, how he reacts after these first two. And that's where it's important to look at long-term trends too, like you said, because, I mean, I think we've, sometimes we get a little fixated on, you know, a few games here, a few games there, but it's, it's really all about just that part of it. And there's so much of it that goes beyond the numbers too. And that's why I'm glad, you know, that you're going to get a chance to, to, to hit these minor league sites and see some of these guys in person, talk to people talk to scouts, give perspective because yeah, it, it really does go beyond a lot of the numbers at these levels for sure. You know, as they're developing there's a lot of, a lot of experimentation going on with different pitches, you name it little, there's a lot of little factors that just the stat line, the, 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 the typical stat line is not going to tell you. So, but going down another guy that I remember you and I both have talked about him a lot in the sec when he was in college and now he's getting a chance to do it at the minor league level. Your boy Tanner Allen is finally <laughs> Mr. Mississippi State draft pick, finally getting to, to, to tear it up a little bit. And, uh, you know, look, look like was five in his first seven starts he's had hits for the best nickname now in the, uh, in, in the organization, the Sky Carp. You're really sleep. You're really sleeping on the ju- on Jumbo Shrimp. Again, the Jumbo Shrimp. No, I love, no, no, no. Hey, hey, hey. I love the Jumbo Shrimp. I, the, before anything, I, I, I love Scampy. I should have bought the little, you know, the, 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 I should have brought my wife the little, uh, the little plush toy of Scampy. I, I regret that. I should. I, I am going to get it if I go up to Jacksonville this year. I love Scampy and I love the jumbo shrimp. Maybe after that, it's just the sky Car- sky carp is like the new one on my radar now. So it's like cool that one. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, Tanner but- Allen, my friend, tell, tell yeah. us about this uh, the SEC stud, which I I remember from Mississippi State. Haven't seen him in person since, but. What kind of a start has he gotten off to? Yeah, so Tanner Allen to predate before we even go into what he's doing. Again, he was when the Marlins drafted him in the fourth round, a grin 
popped on my face because I said this is going to be a damn good pick. Just watching him in the SEC again, I'm a UF alum, so I still keep up with the SEC even though I graduated back in 2017. But I still paid attention to everything five years after the fact. And every time I would watch, see when the schedule was out, I would watch for Mississippi State just because of this dude. And had a slow start last year in his few starts in the Florida Complex League in Jupiter. I think he only hit like 130-something. I actually have those numbers here. Uh, He hit 183 in 33 games in the FCL in Jupiter. Uh, He's already hitting around 300 so far to start in Beloit. Uh, he's the Marlins' number twenty-three prospect. Uh, he has multi-hit. He has mul- two multi-hit outings. He has seven hits so far. Three of those seven are doubles. He's also only struck out four times in his first twenty-five play appearances. To go back to one of the metrics Dre likes to look at. So again, we're seeing some play discipline from him. We're seeing he's putting the ball in play, which is always mm-hmm. what you're asking for. Put the ball in play. You're, there's always a chance for something to happen. And again, it's early. It's only seven games for him, but. I do see a lot of upside in him just based off of what I saw from him in college, what I saw from him on the backfields in Jupiter. I see a, I see a lot of potential for him, both at the plate and as a corner outfielder, pro- most likely a left fielder, just based off of based off of some of the defensive stuff I've seen from him. But I still I have I I see a lot of upside in this dude. Yeah, no, I mean I do too. I mean, especially I, yeah, he, I know you said it, but. I mean, I, I, I'm big on that. I'm big on the pull, put the ball in play thing. I mean, especially these days where it's so – strikeouts are so high around baseball. I mean, if you can get a guy who can consistently make contact, make good contact too, I mean, that, that's huge. So, I mean, the signs are there. I mean, again, it, 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 it's it's too early. It's going to take time. A lot of these guys, again, we'll go back to the whole long-term trends thing. But I like some of the factors that I'm seeing out of them. And another – that I know people, you know, a good lefty here is Zach King. 090, 16 strikeouts so far in 10 innings. Again, these are small sample sizes, but it kind of shows you the eight walks. Eh, yeah. It's borderline. But again, he's another one. When you have a lefty, how's he developing? I mean, he's this is another kind of prospect that you wonder what his future kind of looks like in terms of potential starter. Or are we looking at a bullpen arm? Yeah, no, I mean, and again, he's another guy like Hoeing who 2019 draft pick. So that first full year where they're supposed to get their break in season, they don't have. So he's right. another guy who he's 23 now in high A when he probably would have done the high A, high A circuit last year. So this is a guy who, again, I he's only thrown 104 innings so far in his minor league career, 112 strikeouts in those 104 innings, but he also has a one and a half whip. So it's a matter of let me actually double check some of his logs from last year to see how far he went. I think he's most he's primarily been a starter so far, but right. uh, through one game with seven innings, three games with six innings, nothing else longer than six. And he's a guy who, for right now, again, organizational depth, lower level stuff to to fill out fill out your rosters. I would most likely think he becomes a bullpen arm later on down the road. That would probably be his fastest path to any sort of to, to some rising, especially as you start looking at what the Marlins have in the upper minors already when it comes to starting pitching. But again, it's another guy who, if he can keep some results coming, it gives another option at the lower levels that you can think about and be like, okay, this may be something down the road that could be in the back pocket or, 
potentially, again, if you look at a lot of these guys who you're able to get some of these guys at their peaks and before they get to the upper minors that can be valuable in trades down the road. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, the more depth you can have for either option, the better. And we've seen this franchise really still needs to continue to build and continue to add pieces. So, I mean, anything you can get, we'll see where they are come June, July. And are they, it'd be interesting to see if they're still, you know, keeping themselves even remotely in it, especially with the extra two spots. Can this team look at it and not really be in sell mode? You know what I mean? Like for once, maybe be looking in, I shouldn't say for once, but rarely, more often than not, they're in sell mode. It'd be good if this season they'd be in a little more of an add-on buy mode if they actually still have a, a little bit of a chance at it. But, I mean, that overall, I think we're good. I mean, I think eventually, like I said before, I mean, we're going to be bringing you more of this, both at the major league level and the minor league level throughout the season. You know, some good stuff. If you haven't checked it out already on MiamiHerald.com, you know, most of it, 90, 99% of it, Jordan's work, Jordan's doing. I'm just here. I just... I, I just keep an eye on things, but he's 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 doing great and yeah, you're gonna, to you get to put the, the reporter cap back on this weekend. You get to be you're gonna be out there in Atlanta. Yeah, I'll be. Uh, I'll, yeah, that's true. That's true. I mean, you know, that I will. I am. I am uh, glad. I don't get to do the road trips too much anymore, and it's been a while. Like this weekend, got to go to the Heat game. It's been a while since I've been at the uh, not AAA at the FTX Arena. So, be cool. Be cool to see Truist Park, especially now after. You know, coming off the the world championship for Atlanta, that that I'm sure it's even crazier there than 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 it's been in years past. So always a always a good always good games, also some fun games. That atmosphere too for those Braves games and everything around the ballpark. So yeah. looking forward to it. But when it comes to the home team, my man right here has got it covered. So take take us home on this pod, my friend. All right, yeah, so that's going to do it for us this week. Uh, I'm Jordan McPherson. He's Andre Fernandez. I'll be giving you content from Lone Depot Park. He'll be giving you content from Truist Park. Again, make sure to check out the battery, as you always do out there, Dre. Oh, yeah. Uh, That'll do it for this week, and we'll be back again next week to recap this next slate of games and hopefully see where – hopefully have a better picture of where the Marlins are heading. So thanks so much, everyone.